0: This weekend, we begin a new series here at Lake Avenue Church, and we're calling it The Church Becomes Flesh. And there's a reason for that. It's because when you read the Bible, you find out that the faith that we embrace is one that doesn't simply give us principles for a living or, or spiritual thoughts. It's one in which our God actually is involved in our lives. The Creator enters into creation. Uh, when we first find God making things. He digs into the dirt and He creates human life. When we first see God interacting, we find Him walking and talking with people. And even after we walk away from Him, the way that God begins His salvation in this world is that He comes. Jesus, the Son of God, the Word, becomes flesh and lives among us. So I I think it should be no surprise to us when we realize that God's work isn't complete yet. Not in the world, and not in your life, and not in mine either. But that the way that God brings about uh, the completion of His work is that He actually plants churches like our own to bring glory to Him. He plants churches within neighborhoods like this one right here in Pasadena. And in this place, He intends for His work to be done. There is a reason why we are here at this time and in this place. What are those reasons? Well, one of them is you. <laughs> God isn't done with you yet. And he places a church like ours right here in this place and calls you into it so that he can set you free from sin and remake your life. But, but the purpose of God is not simply to do his work in us. It's also to do his work through us. And there are many things that he wants us to do here in this neighborhood and in this world. And this week I've asked Pastor Scott and Pastor Roger to begin by focusing on one of the main ones. It comes straight from the words of Jesus. Just before he ascends into heaven, he turns and says, but I'm going to leave you here and you are to be my witnesses. Witnesses. Any of us can be that. That's what he asks us to be, both in our words and in our deeds. But I've asked God and Roger to focus especially on the words because sometimes we need to find the words to be able to tell people about Jesus. Without hearing it, they'll never know who he is. So this week, let's think about the reason we are here is to be witnesses in our own neighborhood, in our state, and in our world to His glory.
1: Well, I'm the Roger Bosch that uh, both Jeff and Pastor Gray have referred to, and it's a tremendous privilege uh, for me to be a part of of this church family and to be on this staff. And it's a privilege for me this morning too to read the passage of scripture for uh, the message. Uh, that we have uh, this morning to launch this series that Pastor Greg uh, just mentioned. The passage that we have this morning is from the book of Acts. It'll be the first chapter and the first eight verses. We're not going to have a slide here up on the screen, so some of you might want to take your Bibles out if you have them with you uh, or Bibles in your pew racks and follow along. Could we please stand for the reading of God's Word? He gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates, the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the Word of God.
2: Thank you, Roger. It is a privilege to work alongside this man and work with this man. It is a joy that we get to work together in outreach. When you think of this word witness, I wonder what comes to your mind. Um, I, I confess, for, for me, my mind often runs to the extreme first. And we've heard stories this morning of extreme witness, haven't we? Do you know this word witness is the root word for where we get martyr. Because a witness is supposed to be so full, so rich, so deep, so absorbing that in the wisdom of the ancients, they took that route, which we now in English refer to as martyr. So with that in mind, I want to take you to a serious moment of witness. This occurred about in AD 170, or the current era 170. This is recorded in a a Roman legal document from a court finding. The procounsel is the district attorney, if you will, and he says, you know the emperor's decrees. You must worship the all-powerful gods of Rome. Therefore, I advise you, this man's name is Carpus, I advise you, Carpus, come forward and sacrifice to them. I am a Christian, Carpus replies. I honor Christ, the Son of God, who came not long ago to save us and has delivered us from the madness of the devil. I will not sacrifice to such idols. They represent ghosts at best, demons in truth. It's impossible for me to offer sacrifice to them. You must sacrifice. Caesar has commanded it. Carpus replies, according to the court record, the living do not sacrifice to the dead. Do you believe the gods are dead? They were never men. Nor did they ever live that they could die. Those who worship them are caught up in a grave delusion, Carpus replies. I have let you talk too much nonsense. now, have, And I've now let you blaspheme the gods and his majesty, the emperor. You must stop this now before it's too late. You will sacrifice or you will die. I cannot sacrifice, Carpus replies. I have never sacrificed to idols and I will not start... Now. The proconsul ordered him to be hung up where his skin was then flayed. He was then tied behind a wagon with one other Christian, and they were dragged to the city of uh, Pergamum where they were martyred for their faith. Is that where your mind goes when we think of witness? Mine sometimes does, even though it's our ordinary witness mostly, right? That's extraordinary witness. So, so let's just take the word witness and let's put it in its context. The context is the court, right? It's, it, it's a legal term. So when you think of, actually, how many here have ever been deposed or testified in a court? Quick raise of hands. Yeah, wasn't that a pleasant experience? <laughs> the first thing the attorney says is, now, Your job as a witness is to tell the truth. I don't want you to have a thought. I don't want you to suppose. I want you to tell the truth, that which you know and only what you know. And then they swear you in, right? And the swearing in goes like this. You swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God. That's the job of a witness. Because if you can't count on a witness, then how are we gonna find the truth? This week on Friday, there's an interesting article in the LA Times. I think it's on screen for you. And it's a picture of a man who has been charged with the crime of attempted murder. And you see underneath, it says, making a case with a reluctant witness. Now, the reluctant witness is a man who was run over by the man in the picture, who was run over after the man yelled at him, I'm going to kill you. And then he ran him over. But this witness is now telling a different story because he's not reliable all of a sudden. I can only imagine how complicated this case is going to end up being for the district attorney. A witness has one job, and that's to tell the truth. We have a word for that. We say you're making testimony. You're giving testimony. You're testifying. Testifying is just saying the truth that you know to be true as you experienced it, as you lived it, as it happened to you. You know, we have this great breadth here at Lake Avenue Church of where we come from and our, our, our backgrounds in following Jesus. And if, if you're new to following Jesus or if you're exploring, we come from this big family even today as we have mourned with and lamented with our Armenian brothers and sisters and those who have Armenian heritage in our family. One of the things that I love about one of the branches of our family of faith uh, is is in many African-American churches, before the word is opened, the pastor will ask, does anybody have a testimony? It's It's this beautiful moment, right, where Before the pastor opens the word of God and tells you what God has to say to you, we get to find out if God's alive and if he's well. Because someone stands up, sorry, this is making a lot of noise, isn't it? Someone stands up and says, pastor, I got a word, I got a message, I got a story. And we hear the power of God before we open his word. We know he's alive and well. That's giving testimony to truth. Because that's what a witness does is they testify to the truth they know. And then there's this other word we associate with the courtroom, and it's conviction. Usually we think about how at the end of a trial, right? Did someone get convicted? Let's back the word up a little bit. If they were convicted, that means a jury of their peers was confident in the testimony that was provided by the witness, and so they could draw a conclusion, We use the word conviction regularly, even in a society with less convictions by the day. There are things that are deep convictions in us, right? In many areas of our lives, we have deep conviction. It it provides an anchor hold, it's an immovable place. It's a firm foundation. I say all that as introduction because your elected leadership in the mission and evangelism division of which Roger and I are part We've been having a conversation that we've called Rethinking Evangelism. Does that make you nervous at all? Rethinking Evangelism? I see a few of you reaching into your pocket for your heresy stone, getting ready to throw it. Because the reality is, and I think we just need to acknowledge this more and more, we live in a post-Christian environment. You know, in most of this country's history, it has been dominated by a worldview that we call Christian. It's influenced our society in every way. It doesn't mean that everyone was a follower of Jesus, but our society was shaped by Judeo Christian thinking and it informed so many things. But in a post Christian or even in a pre Christian place, we're going to have to think differently. So many in our family come from places where you were in a minority position, or maybe your parents or grandparents as followers of Jesus. You were a minority, not a majority. So the worldview and the societal view was not Christian, it was something else. It was dominated by other schools of thought, maybe even other religions. You have learned some things about how to be a witness in that space and in that time and in that place. And friends, you are our teachers. Brothers and sisters, for folks like me who've grown up in this very Christianized world, I need you to be my teacher. Because witness looks different now than it has in the past. Those things that we used to count on don't work like they used to work. God is asking something different in our day of us, his church, in this place. Because as our pastor just said in the introduction, we are a church in a specific place. We are a people in a specific time. Therefore, our witness must be specific to our place and our time. Okay, so the world's changing around us. So where are we going to root? I'm going to suggest, here's a good place to go. Let's look in the Gospels. In the Gospels, four writers telling four stories, and five if you include the book of Acts, who were there walking with Jesus, in all of the Gospels, of all the events of Jesus' life, each of those writers decided 11 of them were important enough to put in their books and of those 11, one of them is all about this idea of commissioning us as witness. Take a look at the first one, probably the most famous, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus said, all authority, heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you always. Mark 16, 15 and 16, he said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Do you see it was witnesses to the world in the first one. the second one, it even gets more holistic and it says all of creation you will be my witnesses to. Luke 24, 46 to 49, he told them, this is what's written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. In it we see this call to witness to all peoples. No one is missed. John 20, 21 to 23. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not. Then Acts 1.8, also written by Luke, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in that, we get a model of witness in John. And then in Acts, we are given this clear message, we are witnesses here and we are witnesses there. That's the scope of what this being a witness means. But did you see there were some common elements in this? I'm gonna point them out just in case you didn't. Because this witness is about bearing witness. We, we bear a witness into the places we go. Here's what I saw, and I've only got three because I'm a pretty simple guy and I hate counting more than five, it gets complicated. English major, they, we didn't get much math in college. Three things, two actions, one response. Is what I see in all of these key commissionings. First, repent, repent. That's to turn away from, right? That's what it means. It's a simple thing. It's just let's turn away. What are you turning away from? I'm turning away from my old life to this new life. We see a call to believe. You know, the ancient church, Pastor John Seacrest has reminded us of us this many times in messages. Had a simple creed. It went like this: Jesus is Lord. We turn away in repentance. We turn toward in belief. We see it in all these commissions. Turn away, turn toward. Who are we turning toward? We're turning toward Jesus. And friends, if you want to know how you're doing with your, with your Savior right now, it's a simple metric. Someone told me a long time ago, Scott, just ask yourself, are you spending more time walking toward Jesus? Or sort of scuffling and shuttling away from him? That'll tell you how you're doing. And then thirdly, go. It's a continuous witness. We are told to go. You know, that so-called Great Commission, which by the way, you know, is just an editorial comment, right? Jesus wasn't sitting around and goes, oh, wait, 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 all that stuff I told you, I've got a Great Commission now I'm gonna give you. No, there are plenty of commissions from the beginning of Scripture, actually in Genesis until the very end of the book. God's been sending His Spirit and His people into the world. The real, if we, if we break it down, it, it, it's saying, as you are going, the expectation is we already are going. We are his witnesses. And so we will be a witness. Repent, turn away from, believe, turn toward, and now continue as witness as you go. Pastor Roger Bosch, our pastor of evangelism, I asked Roger, he so said, let's just tell some stories. I said, but how about we go back? And then we'll come a little more closer to the present. Roger's going to share us a story about witness from his early days of following Jesus.
1: Well, I became a Christian uh, in the 1960s uh, during the so-called Jesus movement that was in full swing uh, here in, in Southern California. Some of you might be able to remember. There were thousands of young people in particular that were coming to Christ, and they had to do baptisms on the beaches uh, because the churches simply could not hold them. Well, it was during that time that I also uh, came to know Christ. And after my commitment to Christ, I began to see God do some new things in my life. And I was excited about these things that God was doing and about the, the new direction uh, that, my, that God was taking my life. Well, a short time after becoming a Christian, my best friend, Aid returned home from Vietnam, and we made plans one Friday night to get together. I hadn't seen him for nearly a year, so we had a lot of catching up to do. Well, that night I picked him up in my hot 57 Chevy, black, white interior, phenomenal car. (laughs) An aide asked me right away, as soon as he got into the car, he says, oh, Roger, so what's going on tonight? Where are we going? Where's the party? Well, normally we would have cruised the town in my hot 57 Chevy, going from place to place, looking for parties, and just some good fun. But now a lot had changed in my life, in my interests and my, do- and, my, and my desires since becoming a Christian. Well, as Aid asked that question, I immediately began to sense my stomach tighten up. You know that feeling? And I wondered how I should actually answer his question. Do I keep quiet and not say anything to Aid about my having becoming, become a Christian? Should I act as if nothing had happened and simply party with aid that night as per usual? Well, this was my first opportunity as a Christian to witness to someone about Christ and to share with someone the difference that Christ was making in my life. But I felt this huge reluctance in my uh, my being, a real reserve uh, to share those things. The questions that were running through my mind how would aid react to that news would he laugh and make fun of me Uh, would this be the end of fun times with my best friend and perhaps the worst case scenario in my mind at least would this put a damper on our friendship now that i'm a christian and he's not well for a few moments or in a few moments an internal voice the holy spirit Led me to blurt out to aid, Aid, there's something I just have to tell you before we get going tonight. Since we last saw each other, I've become a Christian. And I almost kind of moved back like this, uh, waiting for the response. And I shared with him some of my story and how it had come about and, and what I was beginning to sense and feel uh, that God was doing in my life, in new ways. Again, I was waiting for this response, and I frankly was ready for the worst. Ade looked at me and kind of had this blank look on his face, but he said the most amazing thing. He said, Raj, I've been looking for what you just shared with me all of my life. I just kind of was taken aback, you know, by that comment. And then he proceeded to tell me about a foxhole commitment that he had made with God in Vietnam. And he said to God, God, if you are there and you're listening and you can hear me, if you get me out of this place alive and back home again, I will do anything that you want me to do. Well, what I couldn't have known, of course, was that the Holy Spirit had already been very, very much at work in AIDS life. And had been preparing him for just that moment, that conversation, that sharing of my faith. It even got better in that conversation. He wanted to know more about how I had become a Christian. And so we had this, this amazing conversation about how it had come about and some of the specific changes that i already seen take place in my life. And Aid said, I want to know more about that for myself. Well, as I began talking to him and sharing some of these things, I'll, I'll admit, I, I felt very inadequate to share with him things about my faith. I was a brand new Christian. I didn't know the Bible that well. I didn't know how to talk about my faith or, or talk, about my, uh, talk about God. But what I did have is I had my story, the story that God had given to me. And so that was what I was sharing with Aid. Well, after I finished Aide asked the second question. He said, so now what? Now what do we do tonight? If we're not going to go partying in our hot 57 Chevy, then what do we do tonight? Well, I was halfway prepared. I had already looked into something that night. And I told him, I said, well, I knew about a Christian party that was going on in La Habra where a bunch of young adults were going to be meeting at a home and a guy by the name of Josh McDowell was going to speak. And so I said, Aid, how about we go there and check it out? I know there are gonna be some cute girls there. <laughs> well, we so we went, and that night Aid heard the gospel, a clear presentation of the gospel for the first time. We left and he said to me on the way home, he said, Raj, that's what I want but I'm just not sure that I'm ready for that kind of a life. Well, I really didn't know what to say to him, but I said, well, why don't you ask God to show you what those next steps might look like? And so I dropped Aid off, and the next day, I called him and I said, so Aid, how are you doing? And he began to relate to me the most amazing story. He said, Roger, I went to bed, uh, got up in the middle of the night at 12 midnight, and I was wide awake. And suddenly the things that Josh had shared with us that night began coming through my mind and the things that I I heard about about Jesus. And I remembered my foxhole commitment to God that if he would get me out of that situation uh, and bring me back home again, I would do whatever he wanted me to do. He said, I felt compelled to get out of my bed, kneel by the side of my bed, and ask Jesus Christ to forgive me my sin, to come into my life and to become my Lord and Savior. I was listening to him tell this story. I have to admit, it almost freaked me out. I couldn't believe that my best friend, Aid was saying what he was saying. Aid was, in my mind, the last person in the world who I thought would be interested in knowing God personally, and yet here he was telling me that he was now a Christian and that he was excited about the decision that he had made for Christ. Well, Aid's life changed. I could see the changes literally right away. His his desires changed, the direction of his life changed. I wish I had time to tell you about what went on in his life soon after that. But how amazing was that? God had taken my reluctant, stumbling, inadequate witness and used it to help my best friend find Jesus. The coolest thing was, I wasn't alone anymore in my circle of five close friends. Now, we were two. Postscript, 50 years later, Aid and I are still very close friends. And in fact, he's been teaching our men's Bible study that meets in our home on Friday mornings for the last 22 years. Aid gets up at 5 a.m. in his home in Orange, drives to be with, be with us uh, five or six guys on Friday morning over donuts and coffee and the study of God's Word every Friday morning. I am so grateful that God gave me the opportunity then uh, to share my faith with my best friend, Aid.
2: You know, we, we title this witness Moment or Momentum. Did, did you hear a moment in that story? but the moment came out of a momentum that began in a foxhole. Did did you hear the elements? Simple elements. There was a moment of repentance. I've been looking for this my whole life. A call to belief, which did not take, quote, unquote, and then the Spirit woke him up in the middle of the night as as he yielded himself, and then continuous witness even to this day. Did you hear all three of those? Well, as I said earlier, it's a changing world, and and we have to come to grips with the fact that the world may be changing. What does that mean for our message? Scott, you said earlier that our church leadership's rethinking evangelism. That makes me a little nervous. We aren't rethinking the message, but we are rethinking messengers. We, we, We aren't rethinking how it's the, the content of our witness doesn't change, but, but how it is we provide that witness is going to change because the, cha- the message is unchangeable, but the methods around the message are always changeable, as especially as they move from place to place, culture to culture. Let's look at some things that are unchangeable real briefly. I want to give you again three things. I'm pretty simple, aren't I? Three things. One, it's always a call to Jesus, whatever our witness is, in whatever age, whatever time, whatever place, it will always be a call to Jesus. Look at John 6, 68. The context is, is, is Peter is, is talking to Jesus. Jesus is asked a question, Peter responds simply, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Friends, if we are not turning people to Jesus, we are not a true witness. There's lots of things we could turn people to, but in the truth of our witness, we must always turn them foremost to Christ. Secondly, it's always going to be a work of the Spirit. We heard that in that great story about aid. Look at this passage that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Again, during the first century, young church, just learning to be enfleshed, if you will, See the Spirit here, the work of the Spirit. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The Spirit has this key role. He draws people to God our Father through the work of Christ on the cross. But, but as He does that, you know, as I said earlier, we're a community that comes from many places, aren't we? Literally around the world and also many Christian traditions. And when it comes to the Spirit, has there been a more divisive theology probably in the church than how we determine how the Spirit works, where He's working, why He's working, all this stuff? Well, that might be so, and we embrace the fullness of the family here. I thought Billy Graham summed this up really well in a quote I found recently. Take a look at this. Billy Graham says this, I don't care what you call it or how you get it, but get it. (laughs) If the Spirit is the one who draws people to the Father, well, then we need to walk in that Spirit. We need to invite the Holy Spirit to be active. Then thirdly, it's a faithful obedience. It's about this ongoing momentum to a moment of commitment. Look at this passage, Jesus after his resurrection. Matthew twenty-four fourteen says, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations or all peoples, and then the end will come. It's a continuous witness. And friends, the fact is tonight, a third of our planet will still go to bed without a living witness amongst them. A third of the culture groups in the world will go to bed tonight without a living witness emerging amongst them. There is plenty of room for continuous witness to go on. A call to Jesus, the Spirit who empowers, and a faithful witness till the end. And with faithful to the end in mind, Roger's got another story he's going to tell. And, and friends, I think sometimes you look at pastors and somehow think, especially the evangelism pastor, right? Got this all wired. This is, we got this. When you graduate from seminary, right? They give you an answer Bible and everything, right? Nope, just a big bill. Roger, tell us a story about unfinished work in this business of witness. So so tell me, is that that a moment? We we titled this message, Witness, Moment, or Momentum. Was was that a moment? Or or was that about momentum? Is it a moment, or is it momentum, this thing we call witness? Can Can we go with yes? Let's just punt. Yes. It is always filled full of moments, but there's always a momentum that leads to it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Who will we be, church? How will the church become flesh? It will become flesh because we are his witnesses. We will be his witnesses in and led by the Spirit to our Jerusalem, the, the place that's most familiar with us, fill full of the people we know and understand the best. We will be his witnesses in Judea, those places somewhat unfamiliar to us. We will be his witnesses in Samaria, which is filled full of people who are very different than us, people we might not choose except for the cross of Christ to spend time with. We will be his witnesses to the end of the earth until this gospel of the kingdom has been preached to all peoples. The church will become flesh and we will be his witnesses. Let's bow in prayer. While your heads are bowed, I'm going to ask you to reflect silently for a moment on the church becoming flesh through the witness of your life personally, those of you who are followers of Jesus. Maybe you need some time to confess your witness has not been one that expresses the gospel. It's good news. Or maybe for some of us here, we've been suffering a bit of, I'll just call it a power outage in our witness. Invite the Spirit anew to fill and refuel you. And for those of us who have been tireless witnesses but have not seen fruit, especially with those who we love the most, our spouses, children, our closest friends, ask God to renew your faithful commitment to stay a witness and that He would do a renewing and reviving work. Take a moment. Lord, in obedience to you, we recommit to being your witnesses in our Jerusalem, in our Judeas, Samarias, and to the farthest places geographically and culturally, so that your gospel of the kingdom and its redeeming grace might bring flourishing life through the work of your Son on the cross and by the witness of your people and your church to it. Amen.